Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. Next up in our preseason preview episodes is the Southeastern Conference. Just a reminder that we are recording these episodes several days in advance of their release. So if there are some news and notes that we don't mention, that is why. As for the SEC, Alabama and Georgia not only sit atop the conference these days, but they are the two premier programs in all of college football. Cole Kubelik of the SEC Network and ESPN and WJOX in Alabama joins me to break down the entire conference and try to identify which teams are the main threats to derail another Crimson Tide Bulldogs matchup for a league championship. What are the short-term forecasts for new coaches at LSU and Florida? Which of Tennessee or Texas A&M is more likely to take a big leap forward in 2022 after winning eight games in 2021? Why South Carolina and Mississippi State could emerge as surprise contenders in their divisions. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast. You can also find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me to preview the Southeastern Conference, as he's done at least the past couple of years. Nobody knows the Southeastern Conference better than Cole Kubelik from... Oh, WJOX in, in uh, Alabama. Um, he has a great morning show with Greg McElroy. They let the Auburn and the Alabama guy come together for that. He's also, you can find him on the SEC Network and on ESPN. And probably, he'll probably just come to your house and talk about the SEC if you want, because he is the hardest working man in show business. Cole, thank you so m- very much for joining me today to preview the SEC. It's always good to be with you, Ralph. Um uh... Can't wait to do it again, and uh, I'm excited that it's almost here. I'll I will say this has been the off season that just keeps on giving. <laughs> so for folks like me and for you, it has been uh, we've never been short of topics. That has been great. That has been fun. But I'm excited to actually get into real football and and watch and discuss real football. That's exactly it. Um, even as we are about to record this podcast, which just a little programming note, we're recording this a couple of days before it's going to post because I need to get a little head on these things. So if there's little bits of news that come up that maybe we don't mention, um, that's probably why uh, camps are about to open in the next few days. Uh, we Just right before we started recording, uh, the, the Pac-12 commissioner sort of went off in the Big 12, uh, Pac-12 media days. But again, we're going to keep this on the field. No realignment talk, no NIL talk for the most part. We're just going to keep it on the field, talk football. And again, nobody knows that side of things better than Cole. So let's start here. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think of interesting ways to hit every single team as opposed to just throwing you a team. So let's do it this way. Listen, we'll get to the teams at the very top. But I find, in some ways, the East 
to be a little more interesting than the West this year, only because I don't know if I see anybody that looks like a real challenger to Georgia. So I think it's easy to sort of say like, well, Georgia's just going to roll on through here and, and have another playoff spot at, at the end of the year. So when I start looking through the non-Georgia East, where do you land as far as, let's say, the two, one or two teams most likely to put some pressure on the Bulldogs? Uh, the first one that I would give you is Kentucky. And I think a lot of that, Ralph, is just because of the culture, the blueprint, the foundation that Mark Stoops has provided. Um, and yes, you know, Rick Scrangello comes in as the offensive coordinator. Liam Cohen heads off to the Rams. Wandell Robinson's going to be gone. I think there are some big losses inside. Mark McQuall, Josh Pascal, they did a lot of the heavy lifting on that defensive line. Didn't get a ton of credit, but that thing is just, it, it's built now to a point where what they have done in the last few years should be sustainable. Now, a lot of us want to talk about, can they take that next step? When is that going to come? I think you may still be a couple of recruiting cycles away from that. And then obviously needing some assistance with the transfer portal to be able to help put you at that level. And one of the things about coach Stoops is Ralph, the guy's batting about eight fifty out of the portal. I mean, he, he has just not had many misses. You look at Dare Rosenthal comes from LSU. He starts at tackle last year. I mentioned Wandell Robinson from Nebraska who comes in and was your do it all everything threat. Obviously you've got Will Levis, who's going to play quarterback for you. I mean, he there he tried the Joey Gatewood thing at quarterback. It didn't work. But, I mean, he has had a very high hit rate out of the portal. And now you look at Tavion Robinson out of Virginia Tech. Could he be the next guy? Can Tayshawn Manning start on that offensive line? What are you going to get from a Keedron Smith out of Ole Miss playing corner or Jordan Robinson, uh, who's a little bit of a lower-level kid that could come in and really help? So, I think the offensive line is still going to be able to move people. They'll still be physical. You've got a thousand yard rusher that comes back in Chris Rodriguez. You got a nice change up in smoke, or excuse me, in Cavassier Smoke, who's going to be able to help you out. They just need some perimeter weapons. And if Robinson is that guy and Levis can take a step and grow a little bit with his intermediate accuracy, some of his touch, you know, Levis to me is still a little bit of a Rob Dibble, a guy that has a great fastball. But he doesn't have a lot of off-speed stuff yet. He needs to develop that with some of the intermediate passing game. But he's also a gamer, and he's tough, and he's a guy that those kids are going to rally around. Brad White's done an amazing job with the defense. So I'd offer up Kentucky first. And It's amazing that that Kentucky's become the model of stability, and that stability is maybe what is setting them apart from the rest of an East where you either have new coaches or newer coaches – and, you know, you look at a, a school like like I suspect where you might be going next is Tennessee in year two. You know, you, that's not exactly stability, but nonetheless, like it's better than the, some of the others that they're dealing with Florida in particular, where, you know, you have a new coach and even Missouri to a certain degree where you've had some changes and you haven't had a lot of continuity there. I would probably give you South Carolina next. Okay. And I know it's a little bit of a surprise, but here's I'm a fan of true balance. And I think a lot of folks. I am surprised, by the way, that I am surprised that you're that bullish on South Carolina. Well, I think a lot of folks, when I say true balance, Ralph, they would just say, okay, uh, run past what were your percentages? How many times you run the ball? How many times you throw the ball? 
And Tennessee is not a team that, you know, they're going to throw the ball 60, 70 times a game. They're not necessarily an air raid style team, but I do think that there are things that provide them with advantages that don't necessarily lead to balance. That's pace and tempo. It's spreading the field out. You know, they, they run the ball well by creating space. Uh, you know, they also utilize their tempo to be able to run the ball and find success doing that. And that's going to offer them their shot plays. I'm really concerned about the Tennessee defense. Very concerned. It just, I, I don't think people realize how bad the numbers were a season ago. And I do think Tim Banks did a pretty good job with what he was offered, but Matthew Butler gone up front is going to be a big loss. Now I think you have two defensive ends that, that could morph into being good players. I like Jeremy Banks a lot at linebacker. You lose Alante Taylor out of the secondary, who was essentially another coach on the field. I just don't know if that group's going to be able to take that much of a step. And you're going to have other teams that can score. Just look at the quarterback play in the division. We just mentioned Will Levis at Kentucky. People saying he's going in the first round. Uh, South Carolina has a first-round talent in Spencer Rattler. Florida, Ralph, Florida might have the most God-gifted quarterback on planet Earth. Now, that doesn't mean he's a great quarterback at all, but I'm just talking from a skill, a physical skill set perspective. Anthony Richardson's 240. He told me he runs in the four fours and he's thrown a football 75 yards in the air. Uh, I've seen him stiff arm linebackers, hurdle defensive backs, run away from DBs. So you're going to have to deal with some legitimate talent. And even then, when you look at the crossover, I mean, I think Will Rogers is vastly underrated at Mississippi State. KJ Jefferson had a nice year. Um, you know, Bryce Young won the Heisman Trophy. So you've got quarterback talent all over this league. It might not just be enough to score this year mm-hmm. because there are going to be other teams that are going to be able to score. You're going to need a few stops along the way. I have concerns that Tennessee may not be able to get that. I really like South Carolina's defensive line. I think it's a group of veterans. I think it's a group of guys that can play. You bring in Terrell Dawkins from NC State as a transfer who could also help bolster the depth. You don't lose a lot up front. Now, you lose Jalen Foster on the back end, who was tied for the league lead in interceptions. King, King Lizzie Bari uh, was a guy off the edge that gave you a little bit extra. You might not have another one of him, but I do think you have the numbers to be disruptive up front. The offensive line has, has played a lot of football. They didn't play great ball last year. But if Jovan Gwynn and that group can get things going a little bit better than they did a season ago, now you add elite quarterback talent to an offense that was working – but couldn't really take the next step or be great because they were so limited at quarterback. I had them a couple of times last year, and I just – I don't know any other way to say it other than that the quarterback position handcuffed that teams at times. They just weren't physically capable mm-hmm. of getting the ball out, being able to stretch the field. I think Spencer Rattler negates all that. You're solid at tailback. You've got Josh Van coming back at wide receiver. You bring in a transfer wide receiver in Antoine Wells that shredded the FCS – and Coach Beamer just absolutely raves about. Corey Rucker comes over from Arkansas State, so now you have a few numbers there that could help you out. You get Austin Stonger at mm-hmm. tight end from Oklahoma, who obviously knows Spencer Rattler. And I think South Carolina may have the most underrated player in the Southeastern Conference. I'd put him up as one of the most underrated players in all of college football. And they're going to utilize different positions in different ways, and they're going to try to do some different things. But Jaheim Bell is the ultimate Swiss Army knife, ultimate utility player. He is the ultimate question mark. Like we were talking about defense a little bit earlier and just identifying players and how difficult that is. Well, you don't know what to identify Jaheim Bell as. He can be a tailback. He can be a tight end, an eight. He can be a slot receiver. He'll line up at quarterback some. 
So I think he's going to give them versatility along with a couple of the other players that we mentioned. They're going to run two back. They'll run two and three tight ends. They'll move those guys around. And now you have a quarterback that knows how to get it out on time, can be accurate, and can make big-time throws. That will change that offense. So the schedule not very forgiving for South Carolina, but I just think true balance of being able to play a little bit of defense, being able to run the ball, throw the ball, utilize formations, utilize personnel groupings offensively to do a lot of different things is one reason I may like them a little bit more than Tennessee. Now, I think Tennessee has the potential to be more dangerous than Kentucky or South Carolina any given Saturday. I just worry about the consistency of it because that offense, as quickly as they can hit you, Ralph, it can vanish just as fast. Go to the bowl game. I we had My crew had the bowl game, and mm-hmm. it's touchdown, 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 explosive play, explosive play, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. I mean, it can disappear in a hurry. So I, I want to see a little more sustainability, a little more consistency, and a little more overall balance from Tennessee uh, before I just say, yeah, they're knocking on the door, ready to be right there, giving Georgia headaches for an entire season. Okay, so you open the door to a couple of things here. And again, I'm going to try not to be linear here as we work through these teams, because you mentioned Anthony Richardson at Florida, which makes me think, as I mentioned, new new coach there, the other big name new coach across the way. Again, other side of the division, so they're not necessarily going head-to-head, but they do go head-to-head. They will play each other, and that's at LSU with Brian Kelly. So let's just take I don't know how similar their situations are. Kelly was really low on numbers. I think there is a certain amount of building there. The funny thing is I feel like Kelly, they were low on numbers, but they went into the portal, and it seems like they have a fairly talented roster, but it might be a a discussion about pieces coming together and what quarterback emerges, where at Florida you have a very high-ceiling quarterback there, I don't know if the pieces around them are him are going to be quite as good. So, you know, again, they're not competing against each other in a division, but let's do a little compare and contrast with first-year coaches at schools where the expectations are going to be super high, but maybe the first year we should temper those expectations, and that's LSU and Florida. I'll start by saying this. Both of these coaches are winners. Both of these coaches will win at these two respective schools. Um, But like you said, it's just going to be a matter of the time allotted and and how long it actually takes it to get going. Anthony Richardson is an elite talent. I mean, he is a he is a big, big, big time talent. Now, can you harness that into him actually playing quarterback so many times in this league? You know, whether it's been Nick Marshall or early Dak Prescott, you know, I think I look back at Dak's career and going into his last year at Mississippi State, I thought he was the best football player in the league, but maybe the third or fourth best quarterback. Well, he changed that in his final year. So can you go from athlete to quarterback? And that's one of the big question marks for Anthony Richardson. I actually think the scheme is a better fit for him. I don't think he'll be asked to process as much. I mean, Dan had gotten really pass happy. He had gotten away from some of those Tebow Dak offenses where quarterback was going to run the ball, you know, 20, 18 times a game. And I don't know if that was going to fit into what Anthony was going to be best at. Well, now this is going to be an offense that relies on the stretch play. They'll bootleg off of that. They'll give you some quarterback runs. They're going to take their shots down the field on heavy, elongated play action. And he obviously has arm to be able to push it down the field. Are the weapons anywhere near what we've seen at Florida in recent memory? They're not. They're just not. I mean, Damian Pierce is gone. Malik Davis is gone. Uh, Jacob Copeland's gone. You know, they were decimated at tight end through the portal and from a career-ending injury standpoint. So 
that's a position that I know Billy and Rob Sale are going to want to utilize. They're going to go run a lot of two tight end sets. They like to widen that surface and give you the two tight ends in line next to the two tackles and go single back. And I don't know if they have the bodies to do that right now. They also don't have the bodies up front to really push people around. Now, Cyrus Torrance comes over, Cybo from Louisiana, a big physical guard. He'll plug right in and play. He'll give them a little bit of what they need, some of that attitude, demeanor up front to be able to try and set the tone. But I just don't think they have five of them right now. They might have two, maybe three, but I just don't think they can put a group on the field that physically is going to be able to do what they need them to do up front. That, along with maybe some of the lack of weapons, I don't know if that offense just takes off this year, but they're going to do some things and make some things simple enough for the talent that they do have to find ways to be successful. Depth is also a concern, obviously, on both sides of the ball. I like their front on defense. And I'll tell you this, I think Patrick Toney is a superstar on the rise in college football. He'll be the co-DC for Florida. The guy just knows the game. He knows ball. Uh, you talk to anybody who's been around him, been with him, and he just he, he is going to be an absolute star as a defensive coordinator in college football. He and Sean Spencer, I think, will have first and foremost, they'll have this defense more responsible. And I think that's going to go a long way. They won't be as high risk. I think situationally, they will be able to aid the team more often rather than putting themselves in harm's way. And I really do think that you'll see this football team play more balanced ball that's going to help one another. The offense helped the defense, the defense helped the offense. I don't think you had that in Florida the last few years, really. Uh, like I said, some of the guys up front I really like, but I mean, you lose Zachary Carter, you lose Jeremiah Moon, you lose Mahmoud Diabate, who's at Utah now. I, I, I don't know if they have the depth across the board to truly be problematic week in, week out. But I mean, is Brenton Cox going to make some plays? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he'll, he'll be in the backfield causing some problems. They have some individuals that I think can help make plays and, and maybe help disrupt some things. What Florida needs to be – Florida fans need to be hopeful for is just from, I think, a, a continuity standpoint and what they're running from that perspective, that it's just going to be more responsible and that's going to give you more opportunities to get off the field. You know, if Gravon Dexter, and if he comes along inside, we've been waiting for him. He's got a ton of ability. I don't know how much I can put on Desmond Watson at 420, how many actual snaps he can give you a game, but they, they, they love what he's capable of doing. And Ventrell Miller gives you experience at linebacker. So I think overall Florida will be a more responsible football team and a less risk football team. But as we just stated, you're going to play teams that can score. And you're going to play some talented football teams in that division. Some of the teams are, are heading north in a hurry. They're gaining ground in a fast way. So I, I don't think that this is going to be a great year for Billy, but I think that they're going to surprise some folks and probably get one or two that they shouldn't. Now, if you bounce over to LSU, again, I, my, my eyes see a fair amount of like sort of top level talent on like what you would consider like, you know, tier, like the line one of the depth chart. I don't know if there's enough depth throughout. And again, they, they went into the portal so much and you have so much uncertainty at quarterback. I mean, I think, listen, you can tell me, well, hey, you know, you never have enough good players. But when you bring in Jaden Daniels at that part, part portion of the spring, I think it does suggest like we're not really sure what we got here from our incumbents. So that brings an element of uncertainty at the quarterback position, overall depth. Again, some good-looking top-tier talent, which to a certain degree is similar to Florida, 
but I don't know like where that gets you in the toughest division in college football. I think they have the third most talented roster in the SEC, top to bottom. And, you know, that by the end of the year or maybe two years from now with what this A&M class turns into, you know, technically that might offset itself. But with what we've seen play that's coming back, I would take this roster right after Alabama and Georgia. That's that's an amazing thing to say because I have a hard time, you know, why am I having a hard time then seeing – because that would suggest to me, hey, even if you lose to Alabama, I mean, with a tough schedule – that, that could still be a 10-win team if you're telling me it's the third most talented roster in the SEC. But can they, can they have a 10-win season out of the gate with a new coach? And again, all this just newness there? Yeah, that comes down to, that comes down to buy-in. Uh, that comes down to understanding of, of your responsibilities and the scheme and the system. And you know, can Brian Kelly and that staff get these kids on board with understanding you know, what the totality of the goals are, not just what your individual assignment is on every play. You know, that's where you begin to excel and begin to, to become a great team is when your guys around you all know their assignments and everybody can help one another. And it's not just, okay, this is who I block on this play. This is the route that I run on this play. You have to understand that things are going to change. Things are going to morph. Things are going to be different. And when everybody has a collective understanding of what the goal is and how certain things can change and be different and what, how you react to that, and there's no panic, maybe would be the most important, then you can go out and be successful on a regular basis. But if you're just talking about going toe-to-toe with teams in the SEC, Georgia's not on the schedule. So, yeah, Alabama's going to be ahead of them. But Arkansas's not ahead of them. Tennessee's not ahead of them. Florida's not anymore. They were possibly two years ago, but they're not now. You know, Ole Miss is just not flat-out more talented than this team. You could make the A&M argument, but I think with what's coming back on the defensive line for LSU and what they have at wide receiver, uh, I would probably still lean LSU slightly over Texas A&M. So now can you find that continuity and chemistry on both sides of the ball, get guys not only playing hard, playing aggressive, playing fast, but having a true understanding of what it is that you do and what it is you're out to accomplish on every play. If they can do that and limit the turnovers, and, and play intelligent football, they do have a chance to put together a pretty good season. They're going to surprise some folks. The problem with the SEC this year, Ralph, is somebody's got to go backwards. And it's yeah. Georgia and Alabama in both divisions. And mm-hmm. then you, you could legitimately, because the big question we asked at SEC media days, who's the third best team in the league? And I got Kentucky. I got Tennessee. I got South Carolina. I got Ole Miss. I got Arkansas. I got Texas A&M. I could convince myself it's Mississippi State. I don't think you can completely shut the door on Auburn because of where they have specific talent. They have issues and holes and problems, but I don't think you can slam the door on them. And what if it does click for Anthony Richardson in Florida? That could be a team that absolutely extends. They have enough around him that if it all comes together, could be another dangerous football team. So somebody's got to go backwards. Not all these teams are going to make these massive strides and end up with nine and 10 wins. And we'll probably get to a point late in the year whether it's you know Halloween weekend or the first weekend of November, where we look up and Georgia, Alabama undefeated, and we got a bunch of six and seven win teams in the SEC, and people are going to say, "Oh, it's an average conference." It, you know, that's you, know, you got two bell cows, and everybody else is subpar. And I think that actually will be very different this year. I think when you look at two through you know, probably three through twelve in the league, uh, maybe three through thirteen, they're they, they're closer than they've ever been. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody yep. will ex- somebody will extend, but somebody else has got to go backwards. So I mean, you have options at quarterback at LSU. That's I, I know a lot of times we say if you don't if you have two, you don't have one. Well, how many teams over the last few years have needed the next guy to come in and help? You know, we, we've seen it happen at Clemson a couple of times over the last few years. Obviously, Auburn had it happen last year. Hell, Hendon Hooker wasn't the starter entering the season last year. Mm-hmm. And people are talking about him being maybe the third, fourth, fifth best quarterback in college football this season. You know, Zach Calzada wasn't the starter going into last year, and he beat Alabama. So you've got to have a little bit of quarterback depth or else you could potentially find yourself in a lot of trouble. I think it's a plus that LSU has that. Miles Brennan has a little bit of a different skill set than Jaden Daniels. What's the best fit for everything else that they have? I think they'll have weapons. We know Keyshawn Boutte might be the best, probably second, third best receiver in college football. Mm-hmm. Dre Jenkins is ready to explode. I think he can have a breakout year. Um, you've got a guy in Jack Best that is a, a, just a coach's dream. You can line him up anywhere. He's tough. He's physical. He'll work the middle of the field, has very reliable hands. He's not a tight end like they listed him as last year. But he is so valuable to just being a, a third down guy, a middle of the field guy, a move guy that can help you in a lot of different situations. John Emery back at tailback. Noah Kane comes in from Penn State. Now, it's not what we're normally used to LSU having at tailback, but I think it could be enough. To, and I, I like their group of tight ends. I think Jack Mashburn and Cole Taylor have a chance to be pretty good. The big question is offensive line. They just don't have a lot of guys that have played there. You're relying on a true freshman to potentially come in and play left tackle and you're relying on transfers from East Tennessee State and FIU to probably come in and start. That shouldn't happen at LSU. I'll say the same thing about, you know, Auburn's got a kid starting from Akron. They've had a kid starting from UMass the last few years, Jacksonville State. That shouldn't happen at Auburn. So you, it just makes you wonder, can Brad Davis really get that group going up front because you got a lot of new pieces, you have some experience, and you have some guys that you're banking on with experience but just not SEC experience. If that group is just C+, then I think the LSU offense has a chance to be pretty good. And that defensive line should be enough for the defense to be able to find their way in most games. Well, we'll, we're going to take some of these teams in chunks and pair them together. I do want to stop on what I think is the most interesting team in the SEC. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean best, but I just think when it comes to fascinating teams all around the country, I put Texas A&M on that list um, because of, the dynamic of where this program has been, where it's clearly heading, but we're also now in year five under Jimbo Fisher. And there's only been one real breakout year. And it's, I, I can clearly see a path where, wow, 2023, this team could be really set to challenge, seriously challenge Alabama. You throw one more big recruiting class on what they've been doing. But maybe 2022 isn't really the year we're ready to fire on all cylinders. But if I'm Texas A&M, like maybe I'm, a, if I'm an Aggies fan. I might be sitting here thinking like, no, 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 I'm not here for for one more year for building towards 2023. I, I, I want it now. We got to get this thing rolling now. And so I, I listen, they're not going to run Jimbo Fisher out. It's been a, it's been an offseason in which he has sort of um, uh earned a lot of goodwill by what he has said and what he has done <laughs> off the field. Um, but I, I also think that despite the Alabama win next year, there's, there's probably more that Texas A&M fans want out of their program uh, than just eight wins. 
I just think that it's a fascinating year. How much will they get from these star freshmen? Can Jimbo finally sort of get the quarterback position exactly where he wants to be in the offense, exactly where it wants to, where it needs to be at A&M? There's a lot of interesting questions around A&M uh, this year. I think they're clearly heading in the right direction, but how quickly can they get there and can it be 2022? I don't think there's any doubt that, that Jimbo has things heading in the right direction. And you just look at the recruiting success, look at the momentum around the program. Um, you know, even if it wasn't as many wins as people anticipated last year, you got one massive win that most teams yeah. in this league yeah, no would doubt. be happy I, hanging their hat on each and every season. Yeah. So one I mean, win against Alabama probably is equal to to uh, two wins against uh, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State without question. So, so I, I mean, I think you've shown that you can compete with the standard in the league, and and that's a real positive. Um, I. I'm very interested in quarterback because Haynes King won this job last year. So Eileen Haynes to be the guy, mainly because he knows what it takes to win the job over Jimbo. I had Max Johnson a couple of times last year. I was a little disappointed with some of the things that I heard and then some of the things that I saw about, and listen, there, there was a lot of confusion and there was a a lot of congestion with, with what was happening offensively at LSU last year. But some of the things that I heard and saw, the inability to get the ball out at times, it was disturbing. And now you're going into the most complicated offense for a quarterback in this league, maybe one of the most in college football. So that that gives me reservations as to just Max rolling in and being the guy and taking it from the get-go and going out and throwing for 3,500 yards. So, But around them, you got a lot of weapons. And the, the concern for me is, is Devon A-Chain fantastic? Yes, absolutely. But can he be a 28-30 carry a game back like Isaiah Spiller was? Um, you know, I don't really know exactly what tight end looks like, a couple of freshmen that they're high on, but I know Jalen Weidermeyer did a lot of good things. And he had a disappointing season last year, uh, didn't get drafted. I think some of that's on him, but he still led your team in receiving yards. Isaiah Spiller led the team in rushing yards and attempts. You know, you lose your best offensive lineman in Kenyon Green. You lose your leading tackler in Aaron Hansford. You lose your two players that tied for the team lead in sacks with eight and a half in DeMarvin Leal and Tyree Johnson. There's just, there's, it feels like there's more meaningful loss as far as production is concerned at AM than there is a lot of places because there's going to be losses everywhere, especially mm-hmm. now with the portal. You've got guys who have played, who have produced, who've helped you win that are just going to be gone. That's, that's just the reality of where we are, but there are things to be excited about. I mean, a chain's explosive. Anaya Smith is a, is a utility player that very few teams are going to have an answer for with the way that they're going to move him around. And that's one thing that's got to happen. So I'll go back just a little bit. I I think Jimbo and Daryl Dickey have got to do a better job of finding ways to move people around pre-snap. They actually did it a lot against Alabama and a little bit more later in the season, but utilize some of these weapons that you have that can line up in different places, run some two back, motion the backs out, bring them across the line of scrimmage. We didn't see a ton of it from A&M early last year. And if either one of these quarterbacks doesn't fully grasp the offense, things like that are going to be more difficult to install and run on a regular basis. But the O-line should be pretty good. Bryce Foster exceeded all expectations at center last year. Layden Robinson is a war daddy at guard. Ruben Fatherly is a Vince McMahon number one overall pick. I mean, if you're <laughs> drafting guys to go to the WWE, like Ruben Fatherly and Mason Smith at LSU are probably going to be one and two off the board. Like he just, the guy looks like he could be playing center in the NBA 
and he's playing tackle for Texas A&M. And he had to move around a little bit last year, which is not real comfortable for a younger player. And he handled his own extremely well. That group could be good. They could be really good. They could be the best in the SEC. I think A&M, A&M, Georgia, Ole Miss have the three best offensive lines returning in the league this year. And if A&M's comes together early, they could end up being that group. But you take massive, massive hits on that defensive line all across the board with Leon O'Neill, who did a lot of dirty work. We mentioned DeMarvin Leal. Jaden Peavy doesn't get enough credit for what he did with that group last year. Yeah, McKinley Jackson's played a little bit. You've got these young freshmen coming in, but I need to see it before I believe it can replicate what it was last year. And I think DJ Durkin's a good coach, but I think they had a really good coach at defensive coordinator last year, so I don't know exactly how that swap is going to work out. And as I mentioned, Aaron Hansford at linebacker, your leading tackler, he's going to be gone. So I, I, I just, I've got to see some of these holes filled with some unknowns to think that this team's going to extend because it's like you said, Ralph, because of everything that's happened, whether it's Jimbo Saban, whether it's knocking on the door of the playoff two years ago, beating Alabama last year, they still went eight and four. Mm-hmm. It's still an eight and four football team. So, right. and you now, can tell me it's the greatest recruiting class of all time, but it's still a bunch of freshmen. And, and that's the where that, and the idea that a bunch of freshmen are going to elevate this team to a playoff level seems like a stretch. Well, I guess you never know, but that's I, it seems like that's what they're they're almost have to expect. Well, that's where we get out of hand is, and I saw it early on in Saban's tenure. You've seen it at other places when you get that first big recruiting class, people automatically equate that into wins year one. And mm-hmm. it very rarely happens that way. So right. if it, Texas A&M's expectation for a lot of folks this year, top five football team, you know, 10-11 wins. Well, you got a lot of heavy lifting to do if you're going to go from eight and four to, to get to 11 and one or 10 and two, in my opinion. So not only do I need to see these hold filled to get to where you were, but then to go past where you were against a really tough schedule. Keep in mind, Ralph, this is a team that from when they when they walk off the field against Miami September 17th, they will not walk back into that stadium until October 29th. Mm-hmm. That is a massive gap in the schedule that you are not taking advantage of one of the best environments in college football. Yeah, And you'll play Arkansas at a neutral site, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina before they play Ole Miss at home again. I also think playing Miami – You know, I didn't even notice – Nicole, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I didn't even notice that until you just pointed it out. That is a weird – that is a weird layout to the schedule. You're essentially on the uh, three – over a month. And really three straight road games. I understand there's a break in there. There's a bye week. But three straight games where you are where you are on the road, like at the other at the other team stadium and three of the toughest places to play in the league. I mean, that's Mississippi State is is not an easy place to go in. Bama's tough mainly because it's Bama, but that place can get rocking. And South Carolina is the most underrated venue in the league. So and that's a trophy game for whatever that means. Probably not much to anybody (laughs) who participates, but they do have a trophy that they give out. So. I just think that that after well, playing if, the neutral if you're game high on South Carolina, like you are that like, I'm not as high on South Carolina though. You may be changing my mind here, but if you're high on South Carolina, now all of a sudden that looks like a very tough game too. Absolutely. And then you come back home and get laid and Ole Miss and there's no, I no telling what they're going to look like uh, after you go through that stretch and you still have to play another game at Auburn. So, and I think playing Miami after you play app state is very complicated because you play app state, they run that stretch play. They're going to cut you a bunch. I mean, 
Hell, put the South Carolina game on when they had Javon Kinlaw on those guys a couple of years ago. They wanted none of it in the fourth quarter of that game. That would be a very different game. And if you have a thin defensive line that is then beat up against a pretty good Miami offense, all of a sudden then that becomes a little bit more complicated. So there are a lot of pieces inside that schedule that just look very daunting. So I, I have a hard time seeing AM at, at 10 or 11 wins this year. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Motti writer and sports radio personality as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league, break down the biggest games, and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. So if we talk about LSU as maybe the most third most talented team in the conference, we're making the second most talented team in the West, and we talk about A&M as a team that's on the rise and is going to have a lot of hype but may not be quite up, but there's, but there's questions of whether they can realize that hype, um, I would say – how would we assess who ends up being the second best team in the West? If, if you're looking at um, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Auburn, who do you think emerges from that four to be a – who can emerge? Because Listen, one of those teams could end up being last and still be pretty good, but there's also a chance one of these teams could end up being second in the West. So if I was to say of those four teams, who could emerge as being second in the West, what do you say? Who could? Ole Miss could. Arkansas could. Mississippi State could. A&M could. LSU could. <laughs> I'm not even going to completely rule out that, that Auburn cannot because I think, I think there are some things to like with Auburn this year. Now, a lot's got to come together, and they are yeah, definitely going to have to on Auburn in. for a second here because we all, we all know what happened in the offseason here, and – the fact of the matter is, man, if things don't go well for Brian Harson this year, I think we're all pretty – I think everybody's well aware that there could be a coaching change, whether that's fair or not. And we don't have to necessarily get into, again, what happened off the field there. But it's pretty obvious that they put a whole lot of pressure on Brian Harson this year to have a big year. And, not again, not just a good year, but a, probably a big year where there could be some changes there. If there's ho- if there are folks that are saying big year or bust, then um, I-, I don't know what to offer them up and tell them after you basically uh, cut the guy off at the ankles from being able to bring in anybody else through the portal and recruit the way that he needed to. But on the field this year, first off, I think that that's behind the team. And I think that they have used it as a bit of a rallying point. It's a little bit of us against the world mentality and there's buy-in there's buy-in to what they're running on both sides of the ball there's buying into being the best team possible and I think when you when you sort of lay it out there there are pieces that could make this team successful now I'm not saying that that means 10 or 11 wins but exceeding the four or five wins that most people believe Auburn ends up with this year 
you have a veteran-laced offensive line. You know, Nick Brahms, Austin Troxel and company, Keandre Jones, they, they've all played a lot of football. Brandon Council's played a lot of football in an Auburn uniform. They just don't have the numbers or the top-end talent. There are no first-round, second-round draft picks in that group, but they've all played a lot of football together. I think the, the implementation of the stretch zone is going to be something you see a little bit more this year. They wanted to run it last year, couldn't really get it going. But with Tank Bigsby, that is a play that can be deadly with the way he puts one foot in the ground and then gets north and south in the violent manner in which he runs the football. Um, I think the tight end position with John Samuel Shanker can be an absolute strength. He and Luke Deal can give them uh, multiple tight end sets that they can be able to run. Again, kind of helps stretch the surface, helps you a little bit in the passing game. Uh, my concern is wide receiver, even more so than quarterback, because I think Zach Calzada has talent. We've seen it. We talked about how he beat Alabama at AM. TJ Finley was the number one quarterback all through spring. So he got all those reps. That's going to allow him to grow and potentially be a better quarterback than what we saw on the field last year. And he hadn't had a lot of developmental time. Think about it. He got to LSU in a COVID year where he's learning football the way you and I are doing this podcast on Zoom. And then all of a sudden he's a fourth string, fifth string quarterback. Then we get a couple weeks into the season. He's got to be the starter. He just didn't get a lot of reps. And then obviously last year, Bo Nix was going to be the guy. So I think there's still a lot of development left inside TJ Finley and be interested to see how different he looks this year. And Robbie Ashford will have a role inside this Auburn offense. He's not going to be the quarterback, but he's dynamic, athletic, fast. I would love to see him in a similar fashion, the way South Carolina uses Jaheim Bell, who we talked about a little bit earlier, but I do think he'll give them a different run threat and he'll give them a different formation that people have to prepare for, but they got to find guys that can catch the ball, Ralph. They've got to find receivers that can hurt you down the field. They've got to find receivers that can erase mistakes, can win one-on-ones. There are some young guns that they like uh, that potentially could sort of step into that position, but we just haven't seen them be productive Yet, Shedrick Jackson has been mildly productive. He's sort of the veteran of the group. But they've got to get somebody in that position group to really step up. And on the other side of the ball, Colby Wooten can move all over the place. You've got Derek Hall and Iku Leota on the edges that can give you a pass rush and play pretty stout against the run. Marcus Harris, Kansas transfer, played pretty good inside last year. If Jason Jones, the Oregon transfer, can come in and give them quality reps. He's the only real, I think, sort of SEC prototypical looking defensive tackle that they have. But he could be a very welcomed addition to that group. Jimmy Brumbaugh, the D-line coach, really likes him. He could add a lot. And I think they have numbers on the back end. Donovan Kaufman, who played at Vanderbilt before, played at Auburn last year. He's played all over the place. Nehemiah Pritchett's moved around a little bit. Zion Puckett's played in different places. They've got numbers on the back end to be able to mix and match what Jeff Schmetting is going to want to do on the back end of the defense. And I love the schedule. I mean, listen, there's no SEC schedule that we're just going to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's, this, is, this is one they should be able to maneuver. They're all going to be tough, but you get your first five games at home and you get Mercer and San Jose State to correct everything before you play Penn State. That game's going to be in the middle of the day. It's going to be hot. That's a big advantage for Auburn. If they're 2-0 and at Penn State coming to town, Jordan-Hare Stadium will absolutely be bonkers. And then you get Missouri and LSU – which one game you you should be a better team than the other team. We don't know how they're going to look and how things are going to shape out. So I like the way the schedule plays out to get some of that early momentum, maybe find your way. And there are pieces within the team that could allow them to be successful. It comes down to quarterback play and wide receiver for me. Got to stay healthy in certain spots, but 
I believe Auburn surprises some people this year. I, and again, I don't think that means 10. I'm thinking more seven, maybe eight. But there are a lot of people that are saying, you know, four and five. I just I don't see that from Brian Harson's group this year. Then we have the rest of those three, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. Now, last year, Ole Miss sort of was the team that rose to the top out of that group and really out of the SEC West other than Alabama. And eventually, I promise you, we'll talk Alabama and Georgia. But with Ole Miss, Lane is, is sort of doing this turnover the roster every, every year again, uh, go back into the portal, uh, new quarterback, some new weapons to go, go with them. He thinks he's sort of gaming the system that by going into the portal and, and leaning heavily into that, you're getting more experienced players. You're cutting down on the volatility of that, that comes with, you know, uh, younger players and um, high school recruits. But there's also, and he admits this too, there's a component to that. That is like, how are these pieces going to fit? How are these pieces going to fit in the SEC? What's your chemistry going to be like? So I think it's a little bit as much as he thinks he's, he is lowering the risk. I think there is a little more volatility with Ole Miss and if it can all come together again, I know they're going to probably score some points. We'll see if the defense can be at, you know, as, as, as good as it was last year where it made some strides. Um, what do you think about Ole Miss? You said Texas A&M a little bit earlier, sort of the most intriguing team for you. I, I would go Ole Miss because I have absolutely no idea how this thing's going to look. <laughs> and I think they could keep in mind first time they've ever won 10 games in the regular season last year. That just doesn't sound right with some of the great teams and great players that have come through Oxford, Mississippi, but it was a, it was a season that should be celebrated more so than we have with what Lane accomplished. But I mean, they like Luke Altmeyer. So it's not just Jackson Dart, the USC transfers deal at quarterback. That thing has not settled itself. Michael Trigg, you hear amazing things about it. Tight end Zach Evans, if he can, you know, from a behavior standpoint, keep it between the lines, could be super dynamic at tailback. Um, I love the Mason Brooks kid they got from Western Kentucky at tackle. I think they're going to have one of the better offensive lines in the SEC going into the season because Nick Broker is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. But when you take all of that that we mentioned, I mean, Kentrell Bullock from Louisville, Adarius Tennyson in the secondary from Auburn, Jared Ivey at defensive end from Georgia Tech's a guy that I hear a lot of great things about. Ralph, I just don't know how it's going to come together. And it's not just player turnover. Charlie Weiss Jr. is calling the plays. Maurice Crum is now running the defense. Your strength coach, Wilson Love, moved on. I mean, that's that's a lot of change in one place in one offseason with not to mention Sam Williams, Chance Campbell, Jerry Ely, Snoop Connor, Matt Corral, Dontarius Drummond, Henry Paris, Braylon Sanders, John Rice Plumley, all gone from that team a year ago. So I think it's the biggest gap between ceiling and floor than any other team in the SEC, just because there are so many unknowns. I trust Lane. I think Lane knows how to run it. I think Lane can obviously call offense anytime he wants to, but I don't know what to anticipate from this Ole Miss football team because there's so many new pieces that have so much potential, but you just don't know how it's all going to fit. I think the first half of the schedule is very beneficial. They should be able to rack up some wins. The back half, not so much. But if they can figure it out, they can piece it together, grab that continuity early, grab some chemistry early, I could see them following up with a similar season to what they had a year ago. It's just so different that it's hard for me to have a ton of confidence that they're just going to be exactly where they were again last season. 
Yeah, so if, if Ole Miss is team volatility on the other side of the Egg Bowl rivalry, I think is team stability to a certain degree only because they're just bringing back – the Mississippi State is bringing back so much of last year's team with an experienced quarterback who's been there a couple of years. Uh, it seems like that's the thing that when I hear people talk about optimism for Mississippi State and whether I'm on board with that or whatever, but when you hear people talk most optimistically about Mississippi State, it's sort of leaning into the idea that – you know what? After a couple of years under Mike Leach, got a lot of experience coming back. You know, that's generally serves well. If you look at Leach's pattern, usually it takes about a, a couple of years for everything to sort of settle in for him to get his guys in. And, and by year three, you start seeing some real improvement. Now, again, in the SEC West, man, a lot of things have to go right for Mississippi State to be in the top half of the division. But if you're the team's, if your team's stability amongst a bunch of teams that don't still yet they're still looking for that um then that's a good place to be i think i'm very high on this team i don't think that will rogers gets near enough credit uh i don't view him as a system quarterback now if you want to take uh 4739 yards and say well that's a product of the system okay that's fine but i have seen him push the ball down the field i have seen him fit the ball in tight windows both with velocity and accuracy, touch when needed. I think he is a fantastic quarterback and would be in, in most any system. I don't think it's just what Mike Leach runs that allows him to be good or great. Top two rushers come back. Uh, four of your top five receivers return. I do think offensive tackle is a major concern for me. I mean, you've got Percy Lewis, the Juco kid that's 6'8", 370 or whatever. Apparently he's down to 340. I don't think he can fill in to be Charles Cross, but – Keep in mind, Ralph, that's a position that's on an island very often. And you're, you're a Mississippi State tackle. You're not getting a lot of help a lot of the times. Now, you benefit from the ball getting out very quickly a lot of times, but there are not going to be tight ends and backs that are there to help you all the time. So that, that's why that position is a little bit more concerning for me than it would be a lot of other teams. Most everybody's back on defense. Uh, Martin Emerson was great last year. He'll be gone. Fred Peters was solid, but – you have the majority of the front back. You have the majority of the back in Emmanuel Forbes, underrated corner, big fan of his. I think kind of similar to what we said at Florida, where things are going to become a little bit more responsible. And I like Zach Arnett. I think, I think he's a fun guy to talk to. I think he does a great job with his defense, getting those kids motivated. They play hard. Can they temper down just a little bit? Can they become just – a smidge more responsible with how the thing is just run on an every down, every series basis, because they are super high risk. And when you run into a Kentucky, that works out great because Kentucky wants to get in a phone booth and fight you. And they were, they were up for that fight last year and, and they won that fight. But then you play an Ole Miss that is, they don't come to that fight with an F-250. They come to that fight with a Lambo. And the teams that are super athletic, that move a lot, that can create some space. And there are a couple teams on the sky. I think Alabama will be a little bit more of that this year. Arkansas and Kendall Browns are going to do it. LSU might do it this year. Um, you know, Ole Miss definitely going to do it. A&M, you might see a little more of it. So those are the teams that I become a little bit concerned with how that defense is going to operate. Because I thought Leach actually did that last year. He became almost more of a ball control coach at times, especially go look at that A&M game, because he knew that was going to benefit his team. If Zach Arnett can do that and they can find a way to be a little bit more athletic on the defensive side of the ball, I think Ole Miss has a chance, a little bit more of an outside chance, but has a chance to be 
the second best team in the West. The reason it might not happen, you got Alabama and Georgia on the schedule. That's that's all I need to say. And I mean, Kentucky, LSU on the road, Ole Miss on the road. That's a very that's a daunting task to ask of a team that went seven and six last year to all of a sudden just become now the second best team in their division. Now for Arkansas, they have a well as as best as you can say, sort of a favorable quote unquote favorable draw out of the East. Though again, you're high on South Carolina. You got Missouri later on in the season. They have a tricky non-conference schedule as far as Cincinnati coming in. I don't think Cincinnati is going to be nearly as good as last year, but I also don't think they're they're going to they're about to turn into pushover status. But they've just lost a ton of NFL talent. I think the trip to BYU could be really tough. Um, there's some rebuilding to be done on the defensive side of the ball, where Barry Odom has done a really nice job. Maybe there's another gear for them offensively, so that maybe balances it out. You know, again, SEC fans, it's rough. Somebody's got to regress, just like Cole and I are talking about. So Arkansas, if I'm looking for, like, the team regression here, I know a lot of people are down on Auburn because of everything that's gone on to a certain degree off the field. But if I'm looking for among the teams that did well last year that I might find some regression, I'm probably looking at Arkansas, but I also look at Arkansas and find a pretty good team. Ralph, I think they could be down two games in the win column and be just as good of a football team as they were last year. Mm -hmm. You brought brought up the schedule, and the draw from the East might be somewhat favorable, but good Lord, it is absolutely filthy. That Cincinnati team is not going to come in and give a game away, and they're going to play hard, and they're going to be physical. Now, Arkansas will be more talented, but that they will have to show up, and they will have to play quality football to win that game. You heard what I said about South Carolina. You've got a trip to BYU in the middle of the season. Yeah, that can't that be is. And listen, BYU brings really Jaron Hall back. I know they lose Tyler Algier at tailback, but they've got a good group of receivers. They've got a solid offensive line coming back. Kalani Sataki's done a great job with that group. They are that is a that that will be a handful game, and it will be a physical game. And kind of like what we talked about with AM, not as big of a gap. But after they play BAM on October the 1st, they're not home again until November the 5th. They have three consecutive road games with the bye week, so that puts them at a disadvantage. I just think the schedule's too much. I think there's a lot to like. I think the offensive line played way ahead of their skis last year. Uh, Ricky Stromberg, one of the better centers in the league. Cody Kennedy does a really nice job with that group, and obviously having Sam there is going to help that group extend a little bit more. Um, I want to see if Matt Landers can help them at receiver. He was at Toledo last year. He was at Georgia before. I mean, this is a kid that Jake Fromm was telling me looked like Randy Moss in practice a couple of years ago. I guess that's actually more than a couple of years ago now. It's been a lot of years. Um, but the name to watch on offense is Malik Hornsby because there's no Traylon Burks, and we saw how Kendall moved him around and found matchups and utilized him in different ways. Malik may be the guy that can add some extra juice, and that's what I think they need. I think they're solid on the offensive line. I think they're solid at tailback. I think they're solid at quarterback. But can they find a little bit of juice – and Hornsby might be the guy that helps him with that. Hazelwood comes in from Oklahoma. He'll be another guy that can help. Trey Knox, super reliable. Uh, it's kind of a flex tight end receiver. And then on the other side of the ball, I have one other guy that I need to see. And it's Isaiah Nichols at nose. Because they had John Richardson and then John Ridgeway the last two years that played that zero nose, which is head up on the center. And that three down look that Barry Odom has been running. And they made it go. Well, they pick their gap left, right. They occupy mostly three offensive linemen at different times because you have to respect that guy. And they could play a true three down front, and that nose guard would disrupt. Do they have that guy this year? 
I think keeping both coordinators is massive, but the schedule is filthy. And I don't know if they have a guy that can take over a game the way that Traylon Burks could last year. So I want to see if Hornsby can give them some extra juice. And I want to see if Nichols can be that guy in the middle of the defense. If both of those things work out, there's a chance that Arkansas could be back at nine wins and maybe be the second best team in the West. All right, let's wrap up a couple of teams in these before we get to the big two at the top of each division. And that's, you know, I don't want to lump in Missouri and Vanderbilt. I'm sorry, Vanderbilt, no slight to Vanderbilt, but, you know, the Commodore's got a lot of building to do. Missouri, they've done some good things under Eli Drinkwitz, but, you know, I think you're also, again, you sort of look at that depth chart and think, like, I don't know if there's, it's funny, like, I think to a certain degree, Drinkwitz exceeded expectations first year was solid last year, which I think to a certain degree makes people think, oh, well, you know, we are we are we are on our way to being something better because when you exceed expectations, you must be ahead of schedule. But then you look at year three, they they seem to be on uh, like going after just about every portal quarterback landed on Jack Abraham, who's, you know, Pretty good player, but it's been a what round a while. Seems more like a serviceable guy that you add to the mix as opposed to a difference maker. Um, it, it's just it's an interesting season. They've clearly again done some nice things to tick up recruiting, especially in the St. Louis area. But I also don't see a path where they're obviously where Missouri is obviously better this year. I, I see them more as like, okay, can they get to the six wins that they've had the last couple of years? There are some things to like. Uh, Eli would be the first one. He's just a likable guy, a likable coach, and I think the players are going to yeah. go play for him. Uh, it's similar to what we said about a couple other defenses and maybe what defenses need to be this year. They're, they're just going to be more responsible. Last year, I, I think Blake Baker will do a better job just with alignment, assignment, effort, just the, the common sense things that need to happen on that side of the ball – and they have a couple of players. I mean, Trajan Jeffcoat has played solid reps. Isaiah McGuire has played solid reps up front. You get a couple of transfers in. Uh, Tyrone Hopper from North Carolina, I think, could potentially help him up front. So, And Devin Nicholson's played a ton at linebacker. I, I think that that chance, because of just how out of sorts they were a year ago, I think they have a chance to make big strides. Offensively, I love their left tackle, Javon Foster. Uh, one of the one of the more fun, interesting players to watch in the league. They've got some experience back there, and I think they have pretty good weapons on the perimeter. Now, Luther Burden's the one everybody's going to talk about, and I think he can go. He's got some juice. The number one player in Missouri last year will be a freshman, but Mookie Cooper can run. Toski Dove can do some good things. I think either quarterback will be okay. I think Brady Cook actually ends up winning it. But offensively, with the way that Drake can dial some things up, I, I do anticipate that this offense will take a step and be better. They need to rack up wins early. The game at Kansas State Week 2 is not going to be easy, but if they can open up 3-0 and with LaTeX, Kansas State, and Abilene Christian, then go to Auburn, I think you've got a chance to, to get some confidence and maybe find a way to grab a little bit of togetherness to go into the more difficult portion of your schedule, Georgia, Florida, et cetera. And the non-conference is just not that bad outside of Kansas state. So there's a lot to like about Missouri, but again, kind of like with Ole Miss, kind of like with Florida, how's it all going to fit? How's it all going to work together? Because there's just so much of it. That's so new. Okay. With Vandy, listen, Vandy fans, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, <laughs> there's not a lot of good news. We can, we can, we can give you here for this season. 
it's become in some ways an even harder job for Clark Lee. I think they went in there with an idea of, of, of blueprint X. And I think in the NIL era and the transfer portal and free transfer the portal is more difficult on them because now yeah, not only is it they hard get to player. get guys out. Yeah. Well, not, it's not only hard to get guys out of high school, most credits from other places don't roll over. So it actually makes the portal more difficult for places like Vanderbilt. And it's just unfortunate that it's become as big a part as it is for Clark Lee and that staff because I have faith in them. I think the D-line will be pretty good. Mike Wright has to kind of like Anthony Richardson go from more athlete to quarterback, but you still have Ken Seals there who could help out if you need him. I, I just I worry about the skill. I just don't know if there's enough skill around whoever the quarterback is for them to truly be able to go out and consistently put up points. Okay, for Georgia and Alabama. We've, we've saved the best for last. I wasn't necessarily planning to save the best for last, but here we are. We have saved the best for last. And when I say the best, the best of, you know, the two best teams in the country last year with the two most talented rosters, maybe Ohio State has a chance to, uh, to make an argument there. The two most talented rosters in the country. Um, Alabama's got the two best individual players maybe in the country and Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Georgia has an an immense amount of talent, but I think ultimately still has more key players to replace. And I, and I, I don't like there is without question, a lot of really good football players stepping into play defense for Georgia this year. But I think one of the reasons why Georgia was in a, one of the elite defenses we have seen in the last 25 years of college football, when it's become the offensive era was not just because they were super talented, but because they had a fair amount of experience within that talent last year, they had veterans who understood what they were doing. Clearly it's a certain togetherness on that team. And I think that's the thing that sort of brings you from great defense to one of the all time defenses. So if you're not, if you no longer have one of the all time defenses and I'm probably Phil, I'm, I'm probably going a little too long with my own little rant here, but if you don't have one of the all time defenses and you just have a great defense um, does that make Georgia a little more, just a hair more vulnerable? I, like, is there any, you know, is there a, is there a chance here that I did? That's the thing. Like, it's hard to figure out a way where Georgia doesn't end up as the winner of the East with a chance to win uh, a playoff spot at the end of the next year. But when you're sort of comparing Georgia, what they were last year to what they are this year, where are there places where you think that, well, we could see a little bit of a step back here, but then again, maybe they'll step forward there. I th I, it's not going to be the same up front. It just isn't. And I think Jalen Carter is one of the best players in college football. I think Nolan Smith is special. Uh, obviously, Keely Ringo on the back end is back. We know what he did in the national championship game. But the, the front is just, from a number standpoint, Ralph, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. You know, Jordan Davis was special. Um, you know, and Kobe Dean was special. Devonta Wyatt was special. Channing Tendon was special. Uh, they had multiple. I didn't even mention, by the way, the number one overall pick in the draft. Right. Obviously, obviously was special because he went first. They're just not going to be able to throw as much at you that is going to be special or problematic or unique like they could last year. Doesn't mean it's not going to be good. Doesn't mean they're not going to be able to lean on it. Um, it just won't be as plentiful as it was a season ago. But I think the offense has a chance to take a step and be ahead of where it was a year ago. Mm. Um, everything we say about Stetson Bennett, whatever, he's the guy. He won a national championship. 
He's he, he's elusive. He can he can manipulate the pocket. He's got enough to make most of the throws that he needs to. Now he's going to be able to go with a legit three tight end set if he needs to. He's got the best tight end in college football. He's got a really nice running back room. The receivers are underrated. You know, Lad McConkey is a really nice receiver. A.D. Mitchell's got legit juice in a big body on the perimeter. They have a talented offensive line. I think that's the group that everybody else just has this immense confidence in that I'm not quite sure about. I think it could turn into a really good group, but there are guys they're going to depend on that we haven't necessarily seen yet. Uh, and then, obviously, you lose Matt Luke. Uh, you bring in Stacy Searles, who's going to take over as the offensive line coach, have the ability to be great, but we just haven't seen them operate together yet. I think the offense takes a step forward and becomes even more explosive and more dangerous, and they'll be able to be the, the side of the ball that's leaned upon at certain points in time. If they get past South Carolina week three, I really don't see them being threatened until November. Uh, and then yeah, like those we, back like to back, talk. yeah, that back to back Starkville and at Kentucky, you know, on paper, I look at it and think, yeah, that could be tricky, but boy, again, they're just, they're so, they're just so talented. It's hard to see them slipping up more than maybe, more than maybe once. Yeah. It's a bad matchup for Kentucky that, you know, if you're looking at matchups that could be problematic, um, I think, I think Tennessee obviously is one because, you're going to get a lot of man coverage with Georgia's defense. They're going to try to pattern match. You can take your shots down the field, and you'll be able to create some explosives. Look what Tennessee did to Alabama last year. You know, they, they, had, they hit a couple against Georgia early last year as well. The game wasn't competitive, but they found some plays. Now, can they get stops? Eh, probably not. Not enough to go win the game, mm -hmm. but that would be your, a little bit more of a dangerous matchup. Like, I think what we talked about with South Carolina – how they're going to move their pieces on offense, do different things with an elite talented quarterback. Like go back and look what Dan Mullen did to Alabama's defense last year. He formation and motioned the hell out of that group, and they had no idea what was happening. You'll see some similar things from South Carolina with the pieces they have and how they operate before the ball is snapped. They'll do some of that to that Georgia defense, which could give them some advantages. I think the two most dangerous games on the schedule are at South Carolina week three, and Tennessee at home on November the 5th. And I honestly don't have a ton of confidence in either of those teams winning that game because I still think Georgia's going to be able to punch you in the mouth on both sides of the line of scrimmage. There are going to be a lot of teams that won't like what hits them because they, they hadn't been hit like that before, yet they have skill all around those guys to be able to go make plays and help them be more explosive. So the defense won't be close to what it was last year, but it won't need to be because I think the offense will be a little bit better. And although some of those teams in the East are climbing and ascending, they're, they're still a Grand Canyon's gap away from where Georgia is. Right. And so that leaves us with Alabama. And again, you know, if you, Cole, if you look at, you know, the talent index and just, you know, the, how many fours and five stars are on this team, the roster mightn't be as talented as it has ever been at Alabama. That doesn't mean it's going to be the best Alabama team because there's a certain level of experience and, development that comes with creating the best team at Alabama. But I don't know if there's ever been a more talented team from top to bottom than what Alabama has coming back this year. I'm not necessarily looking at, you know, tell me where they're weak. Cause I don't know if they're necessarily have weak spots. Uh, it looks like an Alabama team. That's also going to come back with a chip on its shoulders after losing the national championship last year. Um, 
again, I don't even know where to start on like you know pick apart Alabama for me. But if well, I'll, I'll just I'll say I haven't. Where might be I haven't. I haven't viewed them in the way that you just stated it. And and if that's real, and I'd have to really go back and dissect a couple of those other teams, then that's pretty damn scary. Because, I mean, you think about a couple of those teams with all those defensive linemen that they had, you know, Jonathan Allen and, and all the different guys up front. You think about all the guys in the secondary, whether it's Mark Barron or, uh, yeah, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick, or you look at the different wide receiver groups they've had, Heisman Trophy sure. winning running backs. Like, it's just to say that this is the most talented, that is pretty damn scary to I think, think about just, it. But I, I see what you're, you're saying. By, yeah, I think you're just going by pure recruiting ranking. And that doesn't always play out on the field. That's why yeah. I want to sort of frame it that way. That All right. So here's here's what I would say. Let's just let's just nitpick for fun because uh, we know what they are. They're the class of the West. They're going to win the West. Uh, they should be in the college football playoff. I think the offense will be a little bit different this year. I think Jameer Gibbs will give them a little bit more shake out of the backfield than Brian Robinson did. Maybe even a little bit more than Najee had. But <clears throat> excuse me, the ability to catch the ball and be explosive in a similar fashion to what Najee was. I think he might be a little bit more do it all. And because they don't have the tight end depth behind Cam Latu, you won't see as many two and tight and three tight end sets. And people think, well, they've had all these receivers. Go look at the amount of times they've run two tight ends, uh, either under Bill O'Brien or under Steve Sarkeesian. It's been a mainstay of what they've done and how they've been successful. I don't think they have the numbers there. At wide receiver, you got a lot of young guys that are just waiting that people are excited about, but you bring in sort of a do it all. Uh, I don't think he's near as explosive as a Jamison Williams was last year, but a Jermaine Burton that is just going to be a, hey, line up here, run this route, catch this ball, and he'll do it most of the time. Uh, not going to wow you with size or athleticism, but just extremely solid. The offensive line is a concern. I don't know how any other way to say it. Uh, they, they couldn't find tackles last year, and you bring in Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt, who's a solid player. I think he'll start at left tackle. Uh, but you've got guys like Amari Kite and J.C. Latham that have had opportunities and just haven't been able to do it. And that's been a group that hadn't been healthy the last two years. So that could be a group that gets them in trouble. I think the good news there is, you know, you go back to 2019, I felt like every team in the SEC had an interior disruptor. You know, you had Derek Browns and guys like that on every squad, Rashard Lawrence at LSU. I don't think every team has that anymore. And so it won't be as difficult to offset subpar or average offensive line play, especially with a quarterback that just knows exactly where things are going to go. And it's all going to run through him. And Bryce Young is fantastic. So uh, on the other side of the ball, I would nitpick the middle of the defense. We've seen DJ Dale play a lot. We've seen Byron Young play a lot. We've seen Tim Smith flash, but consistently being available and consistently being disruptive have not been two things that have been synonymous with the Alabama defensive tackles the last two, three years. That's got to change. Even though you've got Will Anderson and Dallas Turner on both ends, you can't allow those group to be susceptible to not generating enough pass rush to where quarterbacks can step up and elude the rush or teams can run right at you. Love the fact that Toa Toa will be back directing traffic in the middle. You've got two safeties back that have both played a ton of football. I'm not as high on Eli Ricks as a lot of other folks. I think he's a good player. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't you know, I, I don't think he's a top 10 pick like some other people do, but he's played a lot of ball and he and Kool-Aid McKinstry will be at corner. So they're super talented there. I, you're going to have to game plan individuals on both sides of the ball for this team. And there's not a lot of teams you can say that about. 
There's not a lot of teams that you go into a game and say, we have to specifically design something for this individual player on this side of the ball and on that side of the ball. I think they've got a couple of them on offense and they've got at least one of them, maybe two of them on defense. And that's a problem because you don't have the time to do that every week. And Mm -hmm. most teams don't have the personnel to be able to do that. So unless Alabama beats themselves, I don't really see them losing in the regular season. They play in some tough venues, Texas, Knoxville, Fayetteville, Baton Rouge, tough places to play. Are those teams good enough to get them? I don't know. Can somebody go A&M on them like they did last year? Sure. We've talked about some of these teams being explosive and having weapons and the quarterback play across the league should be a little bit better this year. But I don't know if that means that I see one of these teams getting them. They should win every game in the regular season because not only are they more talented, but they are great in the positions in today's college football that you need players to be great. And those great players are also great leaders and great people. And that's a combination that I don't know if any teams had in the last 10, 15 years of football that I've been watching. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I was at Alabama during the spring and you could see with Bryce and Will in particular, who I got to sit down with, like they are, they embrace the leadership roles. I, you know, I even talked to them a little bit about how they help each other in that, in that way, because they, they lead in different ways uh, as you might think, like Bryce is a little bit more, I think, um, a little more cerebral and a, as a quarterback might be, and maybe not as like, um, I think put it this way. I think Bryce young is more of a patch on the back guy. And I think Will Anderson is more of a kick in the ass guy. And I think having, having those two guys together as your best players and leaders uh, is also a great way for Alabama to start what I believe will be another national championship year. Cole, man, there is nobody who knows this stuff better than you. There is nobody who breaks down these teams better than you. I appreciate all the information. If you came, if you're listening to this, you just got the best breakdown of the SEC that you're going to find. Cole Kubelik, you can find him on the SEC Network. You can find him on ESPN at times. You can find him on WJOX, his morning show out of Alabama with Greg McElroy. Um, I'm glad they paired you up with a quarterback. Uh, even though you're the more handsome one on that show. Uh, yeah. I t- totally appreciate it, Cole. You do a great job here. Ralph, I always enjoy being with you, man. Thanks for having me, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Absolutely. And now three and out. First down. Bryce Young will not win the Heisman Trophy this season. There, I've said it. Not because Bryce Young is not an amazing player totally capable of winning the Heisman Trophy. He most certainly is. But having already won the award last season, I think voters will be inclined to do two things. A, compare him to himself last year, and that's a pretty high bar to clear statistically. And B, if there is another good option— and worthy recipient, and there almost always is more than one worthy Heisman winner each season, I think voters will be inclined to go with that option rather than voting Bryce again. In other words, he won't get the benefit of the doubt if it's a close vote. There's a reason why only one guy's won this award twice. 
especially these days when more and more underclassmen are winning it and returning to school the next year. I don't believe there's anything nefarious about what voters may end up doing. I think it's simply human nature to look elsewhere if possible. Second down. Heading into this season, Brian Harson appears to be the only SEC coach in imminent danger of being fired. But if you remember heading into last season, no one thought Dan Mullen was in danger of being fired by Florida. Weird stuff happens in college football these days, especially in the SEC when it comes to coaches being hired and fired. The Harson situation is so volatile that we've already skipped ahead, only some of us have, to trying to determine who his replacement will be. Hugh Freeze's name gets thrown around a lot. The former old Miss coach has done a nice job getting Liberty into the postseason each of the last three seasons he has been at the school. Now he'll try to keep it going without quarterback Malik Willis, who was drafted in the third round back in April. Freeze is a good coach, but I'm really not sure he is worth the potential headaches. It's not the fact that he ran afoul of the NCAA during his time at Ole Miss. Frankly, I think those scandals don't really mean that much, especially in the day and age of NIL and players being compensated more than they've ever had before. The scandal that finally outdid him was bad, but again, not something that he couldn't come back from. There are real questions about whether Freeze is trustworthy as an employee or boss, and he tends to put himself and the school he represents in awkward situations. Happened again not that long ago when he DM'd a woman who is a former Liberty student and has been critical of the school's handling of potential sexual assault cases on campus. What in the world are you thinking of, you? My friends at the Split Zone Duo podcast really went off on Freeze in a recent episode. I'm not nearly as passionate about the guy. I'm not one of the many reporters Freeze stays in contact with. My interactions with him have been fine, uh, but he has burned some bridges in the industry, and I'm just not sure the juice is worth the squeeze if you're an SEC team looking to fill a position, especially at a place like Auburn, which already has chaos in its DNA. Then again, maybe... That makes Freeze and Auburn a perfect match. Third down. Because we can't go a show without mentioning realignment in one shape or form, one note here about the SEC and Big Ten. I think eventually there could come a point where both superpower conferences restart their tit-for-tat expansion and find value in more growth. Growth for the sake of growth. Gaining territory and numbers because... They have found that that is the next advantage. Instead of specifically targeting the schools that bring really high value, the big brands in college football, which has been the latest wave of realignment. Yeah, SEC grabbing Texas and Oklahoma, the Big Ten, USC, and UCLA. Trust me, if those ACC schools weren't held under lock and key by a contract with 14 years remaining, it would be interesting to see the tussle between the SEC and Big Ten to see how they divvied up the most valuable brands in that league. But for now, unless it has something to do with Notre Dame, I think the SEC and Big Ten are going to break in their new expansion toys 
before stretching out again. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. Next week, when we finish up our conference preview series with the Big Ten, Come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.